House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Welcome back into the House of Mystery, and I'm Al Warren, and Mr. David Rose Martino. <laughs> back to the Rose, huh? Yeah, you're back to the Rose, because I can't. Back to the Rose. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, I'm still mad. But, <laughs> but I don't get, I remember, I just, I get even. Just, you know. <laughs> what did I do? Well, you, I get COVID and you're making fun of me. I wasn't making fun yeah, of you. Were. I'd laugh all the time. Yeah, I know, but you're not supposed wasn't, to. You I'm see, not laughing at you. Yeah, well, yeah. I'm laughing with you, Al. <laughs> Who's laughing? You know, Who's it's like laughing you, now? you tell someone, yeah, please, don't start singing. You're not going <laughs> to, don't quit the day job. Yeah, I know, right? You know, it's not going to happen. You know, no. Well, you could be Brittany. I, yeah. Yeah. yeah Why don't you that. join the new kids on the block? That'd be cool. Hey, I hear the monkeys has some openings. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's terrible. <laughs> oh, is that too soon? I guess it is. It's a little too soon. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> I'll, I'll be good. You know, I'll, I'll behave myself. Mainly, <laughs> for the most part. Hey, you see those guys that were in that fishing contest and they got caught cheating? Oh, I Posted did. Them. Actually, I saw that, yeah. They, they stuffed the fish full of weights <laughs> or something. <laughs> <laughs> what people won't do. You know, first of all, you yeah. got the chess champion up against someone's like a anal beads vibrating. <laughs> and, and then to cheat, you know, getting signals from someone so he could cheat. And then you get the, the fish ones. I mean... Just, you know, yeah. I don't want to be a champion unless I'm really a champion. Champion, right? Right. I, Is I there a lot of money in uh, the fish tournaments? There must be. I don't know. I passed it on to member uh, Weeks, Al, Mark Weeks. Oh, he was okay. on it. And remember, because he's a big fisher and he's into all that. And he said it goes on a lot. But I didn't ask him. But I don't think there's big money in it. Even the yeah. chess thing, you know, it's not like you're making tons of money. I mean, at the end, I guess you probably make pretty good check but even then well i read with the fish that they you know it was they were way over the weight that would be <laughs> no, natural so you'd think that yeah. if you're a, a fisher uh, men or whatever you want to call fisher person today yeah, yeah that you you um that you would know what a fish weighed <laughs> well you would think you'd be it'd be a little bit more careful i would think but i mean hey who am i you know hmm. i'm the guy that goes out fishing with people and i'm reading my Star Magazine while they're fishing in exactly. the boat, you know. I want to see what <laughs> gossip's going on. Weekly World News. Yeah, that's it, because I'm in there all the time. <laughs> Space Alien Baby, Bat Head. The Bat that. Boy. Yeah, well, the, that's a different star. That's a different <laughs> magazine. But anyway. Well, speaking of Bat Boys, um, we've got a Canadian <laughs> writer that I got here. You know, this is uh, pretty amazing uh, that someone from Canada can write. But um, <laughs> so he's got three books out, and I believe they're all part. Yeah, they're all part of a series. This is great, and it's called The Hammerhead. Now that you know, I have to read a book like that. Hammerhead, Jed Mysteries. Um, so that's you know, in the new book, Five Moves of Doom. Sounds like someone I know. So, Mister AJ <laughs> Devlin, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, well, so. AJ, what does that stand for, AJ? All juiced up? Yeah. <laughs> Not quite. Uh, Alexander Jeremy. How did you get into writing, or what makes you go to something like writing and thinking you can make a career out of it? Uh, good question. Um, I would say, um, well, like I, like I did try to follow my dad's footsteps uh, as, a, as an athlete, as a basketball player, and um, I just didn't have uh, the stuff. Um, and, uh, so I was really into the other thing I was really into other than athletics growing up was, um, entertainment, uh, books, uh, films. And so, um, when I wasn't, you know, in the gym, I was uh, at the movie theaters or I had my nose, uh, you know, deep into, you know, usually crime fiction. And, um, and then, uh, both my, uh, parents were educators. Um, so when I hung up sneakers after a year, freshman year, and I realized I just didn't have the chops, um, they both strongly encouraged me to get a degree in something that I loved. And the only thing I loved was creative writing um, and, and some filmmaking that I had done in high school. And um, that sort of led me to uh, film school in uh, Southern California. And um, then that led me to my uh, professor and mentor, uh, Leonard Schrader. And then that led me to um, 
you know, working, trying to get established in screenwriting and then uh, finally taking a, a stab at uh, crime fiction for try something different. But you similar. Know, but when you, so when you go to school, university, and, and getting into creative writing on an educated level, um, does that change you? Like, how does that change you is what I should say in, in, in the books you write, write? Like, I think what I'm trying to get at is if, now that you've been to college and you have that in your belt, so to speak, if you would have wrote one of these books before that as compared to after that education, how do you think it's different? What's different about you? Oh, I don't think I could have written them before. Um, uh, I mean, certainly the, the tool, the toolkit, um, you know, and, and learning to how to structure a story was, uh, was pretty essential for me. Um, I always was drawn to sort of lean, mean cinematic storytelling, um, whether it be, uh, you know, film or, or crime fiction. And that's probably why I gravitated toward crime fiction. It's just, uh, I just love fast paced stories and page turners. Um, but, um, but yeah, I spent, my time, I was in LA total about seven years and I spent my time down there trying to write what would sell. Um, and so I was writing, trying to come up with the new, you know, saw or the new uh, American pie or the new, you know, action movie or whatever, whatever was hot, and whatever was selling. So I was always trying to fit a category and I never really, um, never really wrote something that was really something I truly wanted to write. Um, and uh, it wasn't until I moved home and I was sort of reassessing. And then I met my wife um, and we got married and then uh, we had children. Um, and then I remember my professor always saying, you know, you know, take a break one day and, and take a, you know, take a crack at a, a mystery novel. And uh, cause you know, structurally they're very, they're very similar. And, um, and I was nervous and hesitant, but I, I started to, and then, I was like, okay, well, I want, if I'm going to do this, I want to write a series character. And if I want to write a, a series character, um, you know, what, um, what would it be? And, um, and so I kind of circled around and, and I'd read about a lot of athlete detectives and, uh, and then I, I, I kind of put that with my childhood love of uh, professional wrestling. And that's what my series is about is about a pro wrestler, uh, PI. Um, but he's about 35 in the books. He's, used to uh, be a big star in, you know, the wrestling world. And then he walked away right as his career was taking off. And there's, you know, there's some stuff there uh, in his past that, um, that is addressed and explored in, in the novels. And, um, and there was just a bit of, I was able to go somewhere a little bit deeper, but without sacrificing pacing, I, I hope in the series. And, um, and, and so that's something I wasn't, I don't think I could have written in my twenties, uh, for sure. And, um, it wasn't until I sort of got, uh, you know, more settled in life. And then, and then I think, I think in terms of changing me, you know, becoming a parent and, and, um, and, you know, and then, you know, watching my kids grow up and, and just, you know, changing my perspective on the importance of family and then, you know, sort of channeling that into the book. I think, uh, I think there's a lot more heart there. I suppose I would say that, um, that, that maybe might not have been there when I was younger. What was it like for you to uh, transition from uh, screenwriting to the prose novel? Did you, did you find that was an easy transition, or did you find it was more difficult? Uh, it, was, it was fun and exciting, and in some ways easy. Um, in other ways, it was difficult. Uh, it, the easy parts I found, or easier parts I found, uh, or dialogue. Um, I, I always love dialogue. Um, and so screenplays to, you know, snappy dialogue in, um, you know, crime fiction that worked for me. Uh, um, I, I loved getting to spend more time with my characters, uh, particularly my, my lead character. Um, because, you know, in the screenplay, you're, you're spending 110, 120 pages with them and it's pretty lean and Spartan, uh, storytelling. Whereas, you know, when you, and I, and I tell my books from first person, so getting to literally go into their head and write as them narrating, um, that was a real treat. Uh, I think probably the hardest thing for me was, um, the setting. Um, and so when I, when I wrote, so I had my story for my first book, uh, Cobra Clutch, and I had, had an outline and I started writing it and I had my plot points and my, you know, my inciting incidents and my midpoint twists and my low moments. And I had it all everything I had learned and studied and I had it all, you know, structured out and I was very happy with it. 
Um, and then I was, I was extremely fortunate that um, a fellow protege of uh, my professor, uh, Len, um, her name was Teresa Schwegel, and she, um, she actually won the uh, Edgar Award for uh, Best First Novel for Officer Down uh, years, years ago. And um, because we had a shared mentor, I reached out to her and, and I just said, hey, uh, I said, Len had told me to take a crack at a, a mystery novel. And um, I was just wondering if you had any advice. And she's like, uh, she was so generous and she offered to uh, read it. And she gave, she came back and she gave me some feedback. It was probably the best feedback I ever got. And I, I think had I not gotten, I wouldn't have been able to, to, to make that transition. And she said, it feels like your story. She's like, I like your characters. I like the humor. I like the action. I like the pacing. She's like, all this is working for me. It feels like your story could take place in any city in North America. Um, you need to make it feel like it can only take, take place in Vancouver. And Vancouver was where I had set it. And it was where I wanted to write it. I wanted to showcase my hometown and I was only really comfortable writing a, a novel in a city in which I lived. So it was either going to be Vancouver or it was going to be Los Angeles. And, you know, many, many have done that much better, uh, you know, in my opinion. And I, and I thought, you know, there was more opportunity and it was a better fit for me to sort of set it in Vancouver. And so that's what I did. So I, I basically went back and wrote the city of Vancouver as a more of a character in the story. And, um, and then when that dovetailed with, history of professional wrestling and particularly Western Canadian professional wrestling, then everything sort of started coming together. I was going to ask if you did the city, if you wrote it like a character, but you kind of said that. <laughs> so when you write a series like this, is this kind of all mapped out in your brain? Do you, do you kind of know where you're going in all three books at the beginning? Do you kind of have this master plan, master outline, and you just kind of, go through the details as it goes, or is this something that happens after each book is done? Um, I'd say both. Um, earlier on, I definitely had a clear, pretty structured, pretty outlined, uh, you know, idea of what I wanted the first book to be in terms of uh, there's so much, uh, you know, establishing that's going on. You're establishing this, you know, PI and, and what makes him a little different and, his home base and his, his, you know, allies and, um, and, you know, so you're kind of creating the sandbox and then, um, you know, and then you finish your story and you, you know, you take down the sandcastles and then you build new ones. Um, so, um, but, but yeah, like I always, the genesis and the idea for the series was always that as a pro, pro, ex pro wrestler turned private investigator in Vancouver, uh, he was sort of uniquely suited for, um, catching cases that maybe investigate fringe sports and, um, and uh, you know unusual subcultures, and so the first book um, is is sort of him confronting his past a bit and going back into the world of independent uh, local wrestling. The second book uh, he catches case, which takes him in the world of uh, women's uh, flat track roller derby, and then the third book is um, into um, a local um, underground sort of mixed martial arts. Um, but uh, like the third book originally, I had as an idea, but I think I had it in my in my mind for like book four, book five. But as I sort of went through, I was like, it just, it just, I, the, the more I've sort of spent time with the series and the character, the more it's taken shape. And then I've, I've sort of been acting and reacting more instinctively. And I'm like, this doesn't feel, this feels too soon for this. This feels like I should bump this idea up. And so there's a lot more flexibility and, and, um, you know, uh, uh moving things around, uh, as opposed to when I got my start, when I was pretty, you know, laser focused on, on how I was going to establish the character. Well, I want to ask this as, as a lifelong martial artist. You know, I noticed you have you mentioned uh, your lifelong love for pro wrestling. Uh, you mentioned roller derby, uh, MMA fighting. Uh, there's, uh, I believe, there's yoga in your book as well. Do you? I guess. Uh, are you drawing from any experience? Did you go do any of this, or is this mostly research? or uh, imagination? How, how did you uh, tackle uh, that area? Um, research, there was definitely uh, some research, but there was a lot of experience too. Um, growing up, my dad, um, he would put me in wrestling camps at Simon Fraser University uh, out here in, uh, in Greater Vancouver every summer. And um, they were great. And so they were fun. And, you know, you learn like the fundamentals of like, you know, single and double leg takedowns and whatnot mm -hmm. and, and holds and stuff. So um, it gave me an appreciation of, um, of, of, re of freestyle wrestling. And then some of my favorite wrestlers are the guys that are, um, you know, technically sound that, you know, really are you know, like whether it be the 
the showcase of professional wrestling or outside the ring, you know, you look at like the Brock Lesnar's or the Kurt Angles or, or, you know, guys like Brett, you know, Hitman Hart and Stu, Stu Hart and the dungeon and all those famous stories, mm. these technical wrestlers, um, that helped me a lot. Um, so that experience combined with the research, uh, definitely helped. Um, uh, and then roller derby was not something I had, um, <laughs> heard of. I did not know much about it. And I was very fortunate. I was able to get out to some matches so that I did a, or a games. So I was able to get out to those, uh, pre COVID and, uh, and really check them out. And, uh, man, I thought, uh, <laughs> professional wrestlers had wild names and then you get to, uh, you get to women's roller derby and it, it is uh, unbelievable. And it's just so badass and counterculture and, um, and, and, and it's just so supercharged and, and, and tough and gritty and fun. And, and, and there's just so much flair to it. And, uh, and uh, so I just, I just loved it. And I was like, oh, you know, this is going to be fun to explore. And then, um, and then with Five Moves of Doom, I had done, in addition to, um, you know, freestyle wrestling, I had done a little judo, uh, mm. you know, in my youth and then some Aikido in college. Um, very, my experience was very grappling based self-defense, um, yeah. not much striking. Uh, on my end. Uh, so that's where I really threw in my research, um, especially when I'm choreographing and writing fight scenes. Um, I had, I wanted to make my protagonist a more uh, effective striker. Um, but, um, but at his core, he's a, uh, he's a grappler and, um, and that his identity as a fighter and him sort of reconciling that is kind of one of the character arcs of, uh, of the third book. But your characters, what's you, what's your own personal experience with your characters? Are you, are you someone that sees them, hears them, feels them, and all that sort of stuff? Or are you someone that is um, totally separate from, can just write from um, a plot point of view? They definitely, for me, have become sort of a part of me. And uh, in many ways, uh, the more I write them, the more familiar, the easier a lot of writing them uh, is. Um, I just, so I seem to be going more on instinct. Um, now at this point, uh, a lot of the times with the characters, just, just knowing them so well. And, and then there's just these whole backstories and, you know, quirks and just, you know, personality traits that I maybe necessarily haven't had a chance to share yet. Um, but in my mind, they're, they're much more fully formed. Um, and, you know, and I like to think they're pretty fully formed in the books, but there's just a depth there. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so I feel very connected, um, you know, to my characters. Um, but also there's a certain degree of, of wish fulfillment there too, as well. Um, um, yeah, I grew up in, uh, you know, the, the, eighties and the nineties. Right. So I loved movies like, uh, back to the future and die hard and the last boy scout. So for me, it was just all about pure escapist entertainment. And, and that's when I, when I finally said, I'm going to write something for me, that's what I gravitated toward. And that's what I try to channel, uh, in the series. So, um, I mean, hammerhead Jed, uh, he's definitely more of an emboldened, a version of sort of who I wish to be, um, or wish I could be, or wish I could have been growing up. Um, and, um, he has, and then he's got other characters in his life, including his Irish cousin, who sort of is the de facto sidekick. Who's, uh, that guy's just, uh, that guy's almost like pure id. He's just a wild man. And, um, so he's, uh, he's, a you know, what would I do? You know, if I were a little more bold is maybe my protagonist. And what would I do if I just didn't give a, a flying hoot about anything might be the sidekick character. So it's fun to sort of explore and wonder and, and, um, and, uh, and yeah, and just sort of see where that, uh, that takes you. It's certainly an enjoyable process. Well, Hammerhead Jed, can you tell us how your character got his nickname or is that something that we want to wait for, for in the story? No, absolutely. I, I'm pretty clear about that right out the gate. Um, he, uh, he got that nickname because uh, he would go. He would walk to the ring with a two by four piece of wood of west of western red cedar, um, and uh, and then he, uh, he would get in the ring and have his match. And he was an old school, not old school, but he was a hostile wrestler, kind of like uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, Triple H, those kind of guys right. that I watched. Um, and that was sort of his style. And then uh, you know, uh, if he would win a match, part of his celebration thing, you know, Steve Austin would drink beers, like his two by four over his head, breaking <laughs> mouth. Um, so real, real uh, high level stuff here. But uh, but you know, it was uh, it was a gimmick, right? And and that's yeah, what I love yeah. so much about yeah. wrestling is is is, is 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 are the gimmicks. But then uh, what I realized very quickly, especially when I got into my twenties, I started um, uh, realizing that the more interesting stories for me in professional wrestling were outside the ring. 
um, and behind the scenes. And so then that, that's when it really took shape for me that you're going to have this, um, you know, balance between sort of the in-ring over, you know, theatrical over-the-top stuff and then the out-ring darker stuff. Um, but, yeah, but his, he, I mean, uh, I, I, he, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that he was certainly inspired by uh, a guy like Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Uh, who would come mm. to the ring uh, usually with a two by four as well, and uh, he'd have a flag, American flag around his neck, and he'd give the big ho oh, and thumbs up, and uh, <laughs> and uh, so he was a little uh, uber patriotic, uh, which is not really where I wanted to go, but I wanted to give him sort of that gritty sort of Western Canadian, you know, Stu Hart dungeon vibe, uh, you know, those guys that just, yeah. you know, were grinders that, uh, you know, that really earned earned their stripes and really deserve to be there and and uh you know and it's it's a tough life right and so yeah. um and then and, and then it's also kind of i guess kind of a you know a little wordplay that in that you know hammerhead that he's hard-headed and that you know he he catches a case and he, he tends not to uh tends not to let them go so so you're really trying to say that you want to be a big wrestler <laughs> not anymore uh maybe once upon a time uh yeah i mean i was into uh i was into the that for sure and and uh you know i enjoyed weightlifting and stuff and uh you know all those football and all those sports but um but um but no i mean it was like again wish fulfillment and uh you know escapism um but uh nobody to the best of my knowledge i hadn't really read a lot of, especially when I made the decision to try uh, to write crime fiction, um, I really zeroed in on sort of the subgenre of um, athlete detectives. Um, and uh, so I read books about boxer detectives, uh, sports agent sleuths, um, surfer PIs, and, um, and I enjoyed them all. And I learned things about surfing I didn't know or, you know, you know, uh, behind the scenes, you know, wheeling and dealing in, in the sports agent world. And, um, and I just enjoyed the little twist or the little, you know, fresh take on, you know, your, your gumshoe. And, uh, and so I was like, well, you know, I love pro, pro wrestling. Uh, nobody's, I think is the best of my knowledge has really created a pro wrestler detective before. And it was, I saw it as a chance to, um, to write uh, mystery comedies, to have a certain degree of humor uh, in the series, um, which, uh, which was very exciting for me. And, and I think to be honest, to do professional wrestling justice, you can't just be gritty. You need to embrace sort of the uh, the uh, the fun and the and the and the panache of the whole business, um, but while also not shying away from, you know. Well, I mean, watch the Ric Flair Thirty for Thirty documentary, and you'll know what I mean. Uh, yeah. There's, uh, you know, it's it can be a tough life. So, gold dust. Well, listen. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it, so when you're putting in um, comedy, and um, you know, uh, that's something I tend to do, and it can be satire, sarcastic. Some people can even call me names, <laughs> obnoxious and stuff. But do you do you have to be careful on where and what you make fun of and how you do it? I think it's always good to be um, be aware. I mean, I you know, I think one of the the for me one of the essential fundamental parts about escapist entertainment is that you're you're wanting to bring people into your story you're wanting to offer a degree of whimsy and escapism to take people's minds off their problems i mean i think you look at something like ted lasso and sort of when it came along for us collectively uh, in pop culture it was something that we needed and that people gravitated towards because it was just so refreshing and positive and um and so i don't want to take any cheap shots um so my protagonist is definitely hammerhead jet is definitely you know pretty moral ethical guy um you know he, he he cares and he's sensitive and he doesn't um you know he shies away from it's not in him to be kind of cruel or mean but he he does have got he does have a bit of a mouth on him and he he'll uh he won't hesitate to or shy away from wisecracking especially with some uh you know punks or uh, with uh, some you know roughnecks that he might um, encounter along the way but um but then there's also some supporting characters in the series that are um, that are a little more uh, rough around the edges. Let's just put it that way. And um, but again, uh, you know, it's that thing of like I don't want to, you know, write a character that people find like offensive. But by the same token, you know, I can't forget like you know what this guy at Beer League Hockey said a couple weeks ago because it was a little outrageous or whatever. And it's just and so I want to capture sort of like that authenticity of like, you know, this is how people, some people talk. And it's just, you know, if you're going to get into this world of 
private investigation. You're going to be helping out people, and then you're going into these sometimes shady subcultures. It just it felt uh, like it was necessary in order for it to be authentic to sort of uh, to to sort of try and you know capture that or at least uh, represent that to a certain degree. But yeah, I definitely don't want it to like you know. Uh, I, I just I'm cautious and guarded with my humor, but I like to have fun with it as well. Well, since you include a good deal of humor in your novels, um, just like stand-up comedians, it's said that there needs to be, I, I guess, like a sense of uh, comedic timing. Do you feel there's a need for a flow or timing to, I guess, uh, bring about the humor with, within a prose novel? Yeah. I mean, I know at this point I've, I've tried really hard to make it sort of signature uh, signature part of the series, and um, I think one of the more challenging things uh, with the latest book um, taking place and you know against the backdrop of you know street level mixed martial arts, uh, you know it's definitely really gritty fisticuffs uh, world in which he has to go into. And then I wanted to explore you know the that uh, here's this guy that's he's a wrestling detective, he's sort of a big you know tough guy, he's used to getting by on his physicality and he's defined by it. And then I wanted to sort of you know strip that away from him a bit and what if you know his usual advantages are no longer there um so that um was a little trickier in, in terms of trying to maintain finding places to maintain that humor without shortchanging this sort of character arc and this bit of uh you know self-reflection i wanted the character to go through um so so yeah so but you kind of, I for me I kind of find that I just sort of read the story and I just kind of get a feel and a vibe too like hmm. okay you know I don't want, I'm I'm getting a little it's getting, things are getting a little intense here and like time to lighten the mood and then and then but you know whereas in the the roller derby book Rolling Thunder which was you know book two in the series uh, that's the most the the most colorful and sort of zany of 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 the three and and that I sort of had the opposite problem where I was almost getting a little too farcical and i had to dial it back and and, and you know remember okay well this is a mystery <laughs> at its core i can't just yeah. you know turn this into a you know an snl sketch and um so it's it's it's, it's always sort of a balancing act but i really enjoy it um and then i think i think it, it can brighten the story and i think it can when done right it balances the story and i think um for me uh you know it's the kind of stuff that i just love like i mean john mcclain's probably my favorite character of all time because right. uh yeah. you know he's dealing with all this stuff and you know building with terrorists and this just perverse sense of humor comes out uh, as a coping mechanism and um and that was just uh you know that that for me is like the gold standard and so uh so that's fun to uh to try and emulate well yeah that's just like me i even look yeah. like him <laughs> there you go <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah in 20 years from now <laughs> <laughs> wow so it does this lead you into Thinking about PC correctness and writing and, and and that sort of sensitivity sort of writing and stuff. I know a lot of publishers are starting to have sensitivity readings and stuff like that where they review things beforehand. Are you uh, because you know this gets serious when you get into the uh, wrestling and and boxing and all those different worlds. It tends to be a little bit more raw. Right, it tends to be a little bit more name calling and and stuff like that. It's not so, let's say, PC as they say. So, do you are you consciously aware of it? Do you even think about it, or you just go ahead with it and it is what it is? I'm definitely aware of it, but uh, I don't want to do it a disservice either. And um, so, being super stringent, politically correct, might not necessarily fit or be an accurate representation of these, you know, subcultures that I'm taking my character into. Um, but by the same token, you know, like me, like myself, you know, I, he doesn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. He doesn't want to be offensive. He doesn't want to be rude or callous, but, you know, he's trying, you know, he's trying to do his job. And, um, but, but my publisher uh, is incredible because they're, um, they're really on top of all this stuff. And so I, I kind of have my own, comfortability scale and like okay but like there, there's there's a character there's a supporting character in two of the books two of the three books um and he's a rival private investigator real sleazy guy um and um the name melvin and he's uh he's just uh he's just i mean he he works in a at a um he has an office uh, which used to be a gothic art studio 
and he took it over for his P office and he's a disbarred criminal defense attorney. And, um, he never took down the murals of, uh, you know, um, lady vampires and, and, uh, girls in bikinis on, you know, with space guns on craters on the moon and stuff. And he just kind of, he sort of incorporates that as part of his, his, uh, business image. And then he's uh, right next to a famous uh, Vancouver gentleman's club called the number five orange. Um, and he's often over there having his dinner. And so hammerhead Jeb will have to go over there if he needs a favor or whatever. So, um, so there's no sugarcoating of it, and and he can be a little bit of a prickly character. But my detective is often just sort of annoyed by him, or irritated by him, or he you know he finds him. I think one line in the first book is like spending this time, this much time with Melvin made me feel like I was in a Porky's movie, um, and uh, and so that's that's something that um, I definitely want to. I don't want to shy away from it, but I don't want to. I don't want it to be gratuitous and I don't want it to be unnecessary. I want it to serve a purpose, but those, you know, you get into those worlds, like those are people, there are people that are like that. And, and so I want it to ring true. Um, the, the thing I found most amusing was because I'd written Cobra Clutch. And at the time I was around the same age of, uh, um, Hammerhead Jed and he was sort of his mid thirties and I was writing the sequel. And, um, the first three books, all three books take place during his first year as a, as a private investigator. Um, so, he's aging slower than, than I am. And in the second book, he kind of starts ragging on millennials and, um, it, you know, it's just sort of like this running gag. And my, uh, production marketing coordinator says, you realize that Hammerhead Jed himself is a millennial, right? And I said, <laughs> I said, is he? Cause I'm on the cusp and I'm technically not. So I was just, um, you know, taking pot shots and she's like, yeah. And then my general manager was like, well, I'll just make him one of those guys that just kind of hates his own kind. And, uh, and so that, that's why he's aware that he's a millennial, but he doesn't have to like it. And, um, and I was like, okay, so I made that change. So little stuff like that, but that's where, um, but I, you know, I try and be as free and I, I try to be as free and as unencumbered as possible when I write the story. And then that's where the editing comes in. And I've just been blessed to work with such a great team at, at New West Press and, um, and they always make sure that, uh, you know, things are addressed. And if, if something I miss, I try to catch as much as possible, but if something maybe goes too far or something doesn't go far enough, they'll, you know, encourage me. And, and, um, it, it's a pretty, it's a pretty wonderful, uh, working relationship there. I remember watching roller derby as a kid. <laughs> That's how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> it was exciting. That was the seventies. That was a lot of fun. You used to come on after wrestling on Saturday afternoons. Yeah. Well, I watched Bugs Bunny, and then I went into roller, roller derby. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good day of programming. <laughs> what else is there? You know, <laughs> Batman at night, you know. <laughs> There's a show called Rock and Roller Blade, I think, or Rock and Roller Derby or something like that, back in the oh. 80s. Oh. Very short time, very obscure. Yeah, hmm. and there, there was Rollerball or whatever that James Conn. Yeah. Well, yeah, the James Conn movie is pretty famous. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was all. Sort of. I wasn't allowed to watch that because I was too young and it was too violent, right? So, well, it sort of loses the essence of what roller derby is, uh, I think, or women's flat track roller derby, which is what's explored in the second book, is because there's so much female empowerment uh, that's associated with that sport. And I mean, the names they have each they call themselves, and they just that's like you know such a big part of it. There's a character in uh, in Rolling Thunder who's one of my favorites, and her uh, her roller derby name is Pippi Long Stomping. <laughs> um, because she she wails on uh, the other girls and she skates around with her uh, her uh, hair and pigtails or red hair or whatever and um, and yeah uh, just uh, there's another character named Amazombie who's uh, who's a uh, paints her face up like a like a un, like she's the undead and she's about six foot two on roller skates and um, and I wish I could say I made these names up but I did not I just you know, I googled and I just went through hundreds and hundreds of roller derby names and and there's just and there's so much wordplay and there's so much fun and and i used to think wrestling names were the were the pinnacle and the best um but roller derby i have to I have to give the nod to roller derby in terms of having the most creative and uh, and fun original names you know it's funny i guess it probably is more about woman empowerment than i realized because when i was just a little kid in the in the 70s for me, when we watched it, I was I just couldn't wait till the woman beat up people. <laughs> right. That's that's all you know. You couldn't wait till someone whipped someone or did something really wild and there was a fight. Not I, I, I hate to say it, but that's sort of what you're thinking of as a ten year old kid, and you're watching it, right? You're thinking, yeah, For sure. You know, and you get your favorite, and it's like you know, you hope that they beat up the other one. You know, it's gonna. It's <laughs> terrible. No wonder I'm sick. <laughs> no way I am. You know. 
Now, now, does each book stand on its own? Like, you, you can pick up, like, you know, the Cobra Clutch, for instance, and read it in entirety, and you're not lost because of, you don't have the other two. Absolutely. I mean, Cobra Clutch is the debut. Um, uh, I, I, you know, myself as a fan of crime fiction, mystery, mystery novels, I love to read um, books in order. Um, but mine are specifically, I'm, I write them in a very specific way that you don't have to. Um, especially, you know, with the, the, the gimmick, if you will, uh, themselves of, you know, the first book's independent wrestling, the second book's roller derby, the third book's, you know, street level mixed martial arts. Um, you know, there might be somebody that sparks to a certain sport or subculture that, um, you know, that that's the one they want to start with. And, and then maybe they, you know, find the character enjoyable. Maybe they return and pick up the other one. So they absolutely can be read out of order. Um, but, um, but they also, there are sort of Easter eggs and a bit more, you know, a bit connective tissue, a, a little bit of connective tissue that you might miss um, if you read them out of order, but, you know, teach their own. I, I, I'm just trying to provide, um, you know, fun, fast paced, uh, escapist entertainment and uh, with a little uh, a bit of an athletic theme twist. Hmm. Is there, is there a kind of a, a subtext? Is there something you want people to get out of it other than the entertainment value? Yes. Yeah. I mean, cause, um, definitely because, um, like not to sound like I'm beating a drum, but the reason that, uh, Die Hard resonate with me so strongly is, is, uh, because it's not just about a dude blowing away terrorists and, you know, killing bad guys. Like, my favorite people ask me, oh, what's your favorite movie or favorite moment in Die Hard? And um, it's like when he's, it's like when he walks across the glass, right? It's like when he shoots the guys in the knees. I'm like, no, it's when he's in the bathroom and he's pulling the glass out of his feet mm. and he's talking on the CB radio to the, to the cop on the outside. And he's like, I need you to give a message to my wife. And, and he's like, yeah, I know. Tell your lover. And he's like, no, he's like, she's heard me say, I love you a thousand times. Tell her I'm sorry. Say John says he's sorry. And I remember that moment so vividly because it was like, here's this guy who's going through all this like superhuman level action hero stuff. But you know, it was such a grounding real moment of, and it was a heartfelt moment and it just gave that character this depth. And, and I was, it allowed me as a viewer to invest in him deeper than I had in, you know, maybe like, you know, a Stallone or a Schwarzenegger movie that came out a few years before. And that's, I think essentially why John McClane in a lot of ways sort of redefined the role of the action hero. Um, and so I tried to, again, emulate that with my work. I wanted to make Hammerhead Jed, um, you know, I wanted there to be an everyman quality to him. Um, you know, I wanted him to be relatable. I wanted him to be a guy that you could hang out with. I wanted him to be a guy that genuinely cared and, um, you know, and then he cares about the people in his life and the people he works with. And he cares about his clients. You know, I mean, in the first book, his former tag team partner, he hasn't seen him in years and he still wrestles locally, um, with a pet snake and, uh, and the, the kickoff of the story is the snakes, um, kidnapped and, uh, held for ransom. And, uh, he files a police report, but you know, nobody's really taking it seriously. And he goes to hammerhead Jed who knows how much this guy loves his snake. He loves it more than, you know, he loves most people. And, you know, he, his heart breaks for the guy and he, he reluctantly agrees like, okay, I, you know, I'll, I'll take a look. I'll see what I can do. His dad is a retired, police officer, Vancouver police officer turned PI. And um, so he has some, you know, resources. And so he, he starts looking into uh, snake napping uh, gone awry. <laughs> so, uh, so he has, I try, I definitely try to provide him with a, you know, a big, uh, having a big heart. Um, and, and I hope that uh, readers find that uh, relatable or enjoyable and um, make him, mm -hmm. it makes him a sympathetic lead. Mm. You know, it's awful what happened to Bruce Willis in the last while with his yeah. brain and, and all those bad movies they were putting him in. Mm -hmm. That was just terrible. It is very sad. <clears throat> yeah. I, I won't even watch a lot of them now. They're they're always on the streaming services, you know, but, you know, it's just why even bother? Yeah. 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 It was yeah. pretty, yeah, it was, it was pretty shocking. It was pretty shocking too, because I was unfamiliar with the condition. So I was, very, very sorry to hear that. Yeah. Um, but I mean, he just, he just had a charisma about him and, um, and, and not just as, you know, in Die Hard, but like the last Boy Scout. And uh, for me, that's the pinnacle of Shane Black movies. And, um, he's just so, he's just so good and so funny. And, uh, you just can't take your eyes off him. And, uh, and, uh, he's such a curmudgeon, but he's just so lovable. And, um, and so, so that's the real trick, you know, I think is, is creating a character that's sort of, you know, complex and nuanced and, and, you know, he's got his own issues and his own things going on, but there's, there's some degree of relatability there. There's something 
that hopefully gets the reader or the audience to invest in this guy, maybe uh, this person a bit more than they might, uh, you know, usually, um, because I know that's exactly the kind of stuff I gravitated toward. Well, but, you know, as the writer, uh, a lot of you is going into that character of yours, your hammerhead. And sure. that, do, do you, so you must kind of, kind of, in a sense, a lot of things that he goes through from his point of view and his feelings and his reactions are kind of yours in a sense and, and some of your own vulnerability. So that kind of is a little bit um, exposing in a sense. Does that sort of ever... Do you ever think about that or worry about that or worry about people uh, seeing you in the character? Um, I don't, I don't worry about it. Um, I definitely do it. Um, I think people that know me in my personal life will might read and see things in the character more than someone who just picks up the book. Um, So, but yeah, I I mean, I feel like I can't do my best work if I'm not channeling, uh, like you said, myself into uh, you know, these characters, I mean, all the characters, but especially him, he's the anchor point. He's the focal point of, of the series. And, um, and, um, and that's, that's definitely, uh, by design. And I don't uh, plan on, on, and on stopping that at all. Um, but that's, you know, it's, it's also very cathartic, uh, for me to, to, you know, explore these things and that are on my mind or things that I'm feeling or whatever, and sort of channel it into this, this character and then hopefully do it in a way that doesn't slow down the pacing and uh, doesn't hinder, um, you know, action and entertainment and twists and turns and all the, all the, you know, boxes you want to check for, uh, for some, uh, you know, fun crime fiction. So your secondary characters, let's talk about those. So where do they come from? I know they're from people, you know, and people you've worked with or been with and stuff like that. So let's start naming names and telling us why, <laughs> why they're there and what is it that you, like, you know, I, I remember talking to AJ Horn and I remember him saying that anybody who, who's rude to him or butts him in a line or does something, he takes that character and kills them in the books and does something bad to them. So what's your, what's your use of secondary characters? Well, sometimes it's it's just sort of packaging them or, or trying to find that little quirk or that little element that makes them, uh, you know, a little bit different. Um, there, There's a character in Rolling Thunder, uh, book two, and then in Five Moves of Doom, book three, uh, who has apparently starting to become a bit popular. His name's Sykes, and he's a, uh, he's a bookmaker. Um, but uh, I tried to make him a little different, and uh, he's, he's sort of an upscale gentleman, and he has... Uh, he has sort of a peculiar quirks in that he has these sort of side business ventures that he's very vested in. They usually revolve around animals. Um, and so in the first one, uh, in Rolling Thunder, he's got a side, he's training a championship, uh, dash and, uh, a wiener dog for the, uh, annual Hastings race course, wiener dog races, which is a real thing in Vancouver in the spring. And there's actually some serious prize money. And, um, and, uh, and then, and then he returns and five moves to doom and he's now, uh, got into, uh, goat yoga, which if you're not familiar, people actually pay money to do yoga with goats. It's supposed to enhance the <laughs> serenity of the experience. But, uh, I watched a few videos of, of it on, uh, YouTube and, you know, there, there's a lot of pooping that goes on sometimes on when the goats are on the back of the, back of the, you're in the downward dog and you're getting pooped on. So I, I don't really see how that's a Zen experience, but, uh, teach their own. Um, but, but, it was fun to just do something kind of, you know, sports themed and quirky, but then combine it with this guy that was sort of upscale and elegant. And that was based on a, a basketball coach I had met um, when um, I had gone on a basketball trip to Belgium, uh, I think in high school. And um, he was a Belgian uh, basketball coach and he was, uh, he was just a very refined uh, gentleman and he had us into his house and he had a, like a beautiful library and he poured himself like a sherry or a scotch and he sat down, he put on some classical music. And I was just like, I was like, this guy's like really polished. You know, I'm, we're just there in like workout gear and sweats and, 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 but he wasn't highfalutin. He wasn't talking down to us. He was just a very elegant man with a, uh, you know, a great taste and, and a very cultured individual. And, uh, and so I just, I, I do like a good old fashioned mashup. And, um, and then I guess I just find it kind of humorous to that a uh, guy that could, you know, get invested in wiener dog racing and goat yoga could be so, uh, so elegant, refined. <laughs> goat yoga. Well, listen, speaking of, uh, of the characters, as Al had asked you, um, have, 
any of your characters taken on a life of their own and maybe done something to surprise you or pull the plot in a different direction? Or, or do you feel you're just very much in control of the, uh, of the story? It's a great question. And uh, yes, uh, not, not all the time, but there are definitely some significant moments where that happens and it almost catches me off guard. Mm. Um, and often, I guess I'm just looking at things through, I mean, primarily I'm looking at things through Hammerhead Jed's point of view. Um, but, um, you know, he has a, his wild man cousin sidekick, uh, can get up to some stuff and he's, uh, he's a former IRA man. And, um, and so he's a lethal, he's a lethal dude. Um, but he's also a bit of a hot headed, uh, uh, piss tank. And, uh, he loves the pints, the black stuff and, and a good old fashioned scrap. Um, and, uh, so sometimes he can get a little, he can go a little far, push the envelope. And then, uh, but even hammerhead, uh, Jed's dad, uh, who's, uh, the retired police officer and now PI himself, he, um, he's got a, degree of uh, world world wariness having been on the job uh, for so long. And, and there's some things that he does in, in the books that might be a bit surprising to uh, some people or not. I don't know. I guess I suppose it depends on the reader. Um, I know that I was very fortunate and that my, um, my neighbor and uh, friend, uh, Joel Johnson, he's uh, was a 30 year man with the Vancouver police department. He's also like a master martial artist and use of force expert. And he, has a consulting firm and he flies all around uh, North America training police forces on, on uh, taking down, you know, safely and efficiently, uh, you know, uh, de-escalating situations and stuff. And um, he's devised in all the books. He actually blurbed uh, the most recent one. And, um, and he's just like, Oh yeah. He's like, that's what I do. And I was like, okay, well that, that feels good that, uh, you know, cause I mean, it might be pushing the boundaries of what technically might be legal, even though he's not an, no longer an officer of the law, the character of Hammerhead Jed's dad. But, um, but knowing, but hearing it, hearing that kind of feedback from Joel, who's an, you know, also an accomplished writer in his own right, um, and he's written a lot of police journals and, and an avid fan of uh, um, crime fiction. Um, and uh, we share authors that we're fans of, like Michael Connelly and, and uh, you know, the Harry Bosch series. And um, so that, that's, that's a good feeling when you know that, uh, you know, the, you're, you're getting it right. And, um, and that's, that's probably been the most rewarding thing for me with all these books is that, I've, had in, I've gotten to know independent wrestlers who have said, you nailed it. I've gotten to know roller derby players who have emailed me and said, I really appreciate the attention to detail that you made. Um, you know, cause like roller derby, when you're in roller derby, you don't, um, they don't say, well, when I'm in roller derby, they just call it derby. That's mm -hmm. just like shorthand lingo. And, and, and it seems like a tiny little thing, but someone in that world, it's, it, I think it shows that a lot of this guy, you know, did his research and, right. and then, um, and then, uh, I was able to, uh, get some, um, mixed martial arts uh, guys to uh, um, consult and advise on, on the third one as well. So I think, I think that's the way I see it is if someone's going to be generous enough to come on a, you know, a, a ride into my imagination, the least I can do is try and get the details right. And then also show respect to these, you know, maybe fringe sports and it might not be your cup of tea, but it doesn't mean that to the people that are in them, it's not everything to them. Um, and so, and I, I guess as a writer, you know, for so long, an aspiring writer, I, I respect and I can relate to that passion for a craft that basically, in a lot of ways, has no guarantee of ever having a payoff. Mm -hmm. You just do it because it's in your bones, and nothing's going to stop you from doing it because you love it so much. Oh, you're you're not rich now. <laughs> <laughs> wow. No, you just it's because you spend too much money on stuff. You know, you calm down. Um, where so where do people find you? Where do, where do, where does people go out and they're looking for Mr. AJ, Mr. Alexandra Devlin, and they want to find him. Do you have like a website? Do you have, do you do social media with people? Uh, Tinder, Grindr, you know, <laughs> phone number. I, uh, I, I, I do. Um, AJDevlin.com is my website. Uh, that's sort of my uh, go-to hub. Um, although I'm most active right now on uh, social media because I'm uh, on a, a book tour promoting um Five moves of doom, and um, so I'm on uh, uh, Twitter, uh, Facebook page, Instagram, and now TikTok. Which I really, I don't know. I still haven't figured out TikTok. But my <laughs> um, my marketing coordinator, uh, she's she's brilliant, uh, young lady. But she, I mean, she must be 
30 or something. And she's like, get on there, get on there. There's entire sections of uh, Barnes and Noble now where you walk in. It says, as seen on TikTok. And I'm like, really? And so anyways, I created it. But it's all the same handle uh, at AJ Devlin Author. So it has that same handle across all four platforms um, with, I don't know, who knows, maybe more to come. But um, Yeah, yeah. Okay, perfect. And what are you going to do next? Like what, what's coming? Are you doing, is there a book four to this series after this or are you going to something different? Yes. Um, I'm, I've, I've referred to it as a trilogy a few times. Um, and then, uh, some people have said, uh, Oh, are you done? Are you done? And trilogy doesn't mean, uh, you know, a series is over as far as I view it. Um, it, this, the, you know, these three books encapsulate and tell, you know, a three, a bigger three part story of his first year, Hammerhead Jets first year as a private investigator. Um, and so there's a book four, but there's going to be a bit of a time jump and, um, he's in a different place and, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's fun. It's an exciting place to, to take him. I think I like to think that I leave this, the third book, uh, with a certain degree of closure, but also with, um, with doors open for future stories. Um, and because there is that degree of closure, uh, it felt like a time to maybe reflect and, you know, consider, uh, maybe, you know, ideas for, you know, spinoffs or standalones or different projects or whatever. Yeah. Or just because I've just been so down the rabbit hole focused on getting these three books out as fast as possible. Um, so, uh, so yeah, but no, but I mean, he's, he's the be- is the be- most fun I've ever had. He's the best character I think I've ever written. Um, I got lots of ideas and places I want to take him. So um, he, he will, he is and will remain the top priority for me for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you can have him transition into, a female in the next one. Next race. <laughs> or is he going to come out hey, of the closet? Uh, you, you know what? Anything's possible. Uh, yeah, we'll have to see. Uh, uh, I just, I, I, as long as I get the details right, that's the thing. I, I always want to show respect to the people in these. You know, if I'm going into some, you know, sort of world or some kind of, you know, backdrop that's not, um, you know, your usual fare, I want to make sure that people in that world feel like it's being properly represented or that I'm at least making an effort to try and get the details right because, um, well, you yeah. know, I, I think people appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can write from your own experience in, in a lot of things and sometimes you can't, you know, it's just, well, anyway, uh, it's been a joy. It's been a pleasure. Uh, and here we go. I guess we're on and we'll have everything up on our website as well. And, uh, thank you for being on the show. We've got, Mr. A.J. Devlin here, and he's been talking about his five moves of doom, and of course it's a Hammerhead Jed series, and it's book three. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks, A.J. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.